the blessings of God here. Continuing, Paul has been doing that in Ephesians chapter 1 all the way to chapter three or chapter 2 here. He's been talking about the blessings of God all the way through and, and, and what the blessings are, but he's comparing it to the lost, to the saved. He's going through there. But now he's going to deal with the saved, and he's going he's gonna, to, he again uses another analogy, so to speak, or another example, an illustration of the difference. And this time his illustration really has to do with the temple. Uh, he doesn't use the words about the temple here, but when he talks about uh, being nigh, right, being made nigh and those that were afar off, uh, it's, it, it, uh, it's a Jewish, uh, the Jews understood that to be about the temple because the Gentiles were not allowed to go into the holiest of all. You know, the, they weren't allowed to go into all the way into that. The gent there was the court of the Gentiles, right, that was out and about, but it wasn't, they weren't allowed to go inside. But Paul is explaining that's over now because the temple is in heaven. God's temple is in heaven and God's church is the temple, right? And we are the temple of the living God. You as a believer are the temple of the living God. So he explains that all in Corinthians, but he's really going to explain here uh, what that means to be far off and to be nigh. Uh, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And then verse number, if you look at the next verse, what it says here, but uh, verse 14, for he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Who's us? He's talking about Jew and Gentile alike to Christ. He's saying there's no more Jew or Gentile when it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternal life. Yes, there's Jews and yes, there's Gentiles, nationalities and all those other things. But when it comes to salvation, salvation is of the Lord. And Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. We're not going to cover that this week, but that enmity means enemy. You're an enemy. Enemy behavior, right? Christ destroyed the enmity. In his, flesh, uh, in his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Amen. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Slain it. You know, you and I were the enemies of God before we were saved. I explained that on that video today to that man when I was, uh, you know, reviewing that video and explaining uh, that, that he was, uh, or to that lady, I explained it to her outside of the Pride event years ago. She asked me why we were there. And I said to her that, she goes, so you're saying that, that, the, that the LGBTQ are the enemies of God? I said, yes, all sinners are the enemies of God. They're at enmity with God. They are enemies with God, yes. And that's why preachers go out. We are ministers of reconciliation. We go out to tell them what the terms are for them to be at peace with God. Do you understand that? That's what we are. We are the peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's who we are. We go out with terms of peace. What does, what does everybody want when there's a war? You hear them talk right away. A lot of people, not everybody, but the people that are being killed, right? They, they usually talk about, well, how do we make peace? How do we make peace? Well, when, when sinners are at war with God, there's only one way for peace. Jesus. He's the only peace. He's the only one that can offer peace. That's it. He's the only acceptable one. He is the Prince of Peace. Right? So, and he's slain the enmity. He killed it. And he killed it in his body. He's slain it in his body by being the perfect sacrifice for sin.
Amen. But tonight we're going to cover what that means to be far off and made nigh in the blessings that are with that. Father, Lord, we thank you. Please help us as we look at the scriptures. And Lord, thank you for them. Thank you that they're so plain and clear to us by the Holy Ghost that we could understand them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Far off. Number one, ye who were far off. The condition of the unsaved is depicted by the tabernacle. Because God dwelt in the holy of holies. He dwelt in the holiest of all. That's where God dwelt. The sinner is outside, separated from God by the high white linen walls of the court, which signify God's perfect holiness. See, everything in the temple, everything that was built in the tabernacle of the temple was, to be, was modeled after heaven. They were, Moses was to, was to design everything after the pattern that was shown him in the mount. What was that? It was a pattern after heaven. People, like we, we talk to people always wonder where the Ark of the Covenant is. Well, it's in heaven. The real one is. The one down here was just a model. God chose to use it, by the way. But if you want to look for the original, we'll talk about the originals, right? <laughs> you want to talk about the original? The original's in heaven. It's the throne of God. Jesus sits on it. Amen. Amen? That's, it. That's it's the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus, it's his throne. He sits on it. That's the original. The one down here got destroyed. Probably. But it really is of no significance. Why? Because the glory hath departed. God left that, didn't he? He said he did. He left that. And he left that design. And he, and he slain the enmity, right? That's what he did. And he showed that when the veil of the temple was rent, right? He showed that it was his work. Only God could do that the way that he did that. The sinner is outside, separated from God. The only way to God is through the one gate, which signifies Christ. And by means of the altar of sacrifice, which signifies Christ's vicarious sacrifice on the cross. See, it is Christ is the gate, right? Christ is the door to heaven. He is the door to the sheepfold. No man gets in except by Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is Jesus only. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we'll see that there was a barring. This picture is Abraham, uh, not Abraham, excuse me, Adam and Eve, and them being barred from paradise, right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So see, it was possible for him to take of the tree of life and to live forever. Why is that a bad thing? He to live forever a sinner, separated from God. So God barred him from that. Why? Because an atonement had to be made. He didn't want him to live forever a sinner. That's God's mercy. God didn't want Adam to live forever a sinner. He didn't want him to live for all of eternity separated from God. Right? Separated from uh, God's uh, grace. Uh, God's presence is everywhere. It is, what, you experience, what, what the sinner will experience in hell is not a departure of God. It's a departure of God's love. He experiences the full wrath of God in hell. Do you understand that? The, he's not separated from God in the sense that God is not there. No, God is there. His wrath is there. His presence is not. His wrath is. Right? So his attributes are there. His wrath, his full wrath, which is no love. 
Do you understand that? People say, where's the love in your message? The love is telling you now, sinner, to repent before you suffer the full wrath of God in hell where you get no mercy. There is no exits. Right? It is the full wrath of God in hell. That's what hell is. That's God's wrath on sin. That's how much God hates sin. And he showed a picture of that when he slain his only begotten son on the cross. He showed a picture of how much he hates sin. He showed you by slaying his own son. That was, that was him showing you how much he hates sin. Because God is holy. It's not a game. That's why the gospel is not a game. When we preach to them, we're preaching, this is a matter of life or death, friend. <laughs> your eternal life or death. That's what it's a matter of. It's not a game. It's a matter of your eternity, where you will spend eternity for the rest of your life, rest of your existence that never ends. It does not end. It's either heaven or hell. There is no in-between. It's, it's, there, there is no in-between. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Amen. They were far off. Adam and Eve were far off from God. They weren't allowed to walk through paradise. They were far off now. There was a, a flaming, an angel with a flaming sword, right? Cherubims with a flaming sword there, stopping them from going in. They could never go in that way, right? Who'd, how'd they have to go in? By the seed of the woman. They would have to eventually go in by the seed of the woman. That's how all, all of us would eventually go in. Understand that. I, people can get confused about that sometimes. They, they think that what we're saying is, is that um, they preach the, you know, if you believe that, you believe that they preach the death, burial, and the resurrection in Genesis and, and, and all. No, 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 no. Here's what you don't understand. God told them to repent and believe in every dispensation. Yes, he did. Now, what he told them to repent and believe, I mean, obviously, repentance is always toward God, right? And he told them to believe and to follow him in every dispensation, no matter what right. it was. But you have to understand the divine period on it all is Jesus Christ. Yes. You better understand that, friend. I don't care where you were at and what time you were. It, there ain't nobody going to heaven without that blood of Jesus Christ on that altar. Right. Nobody forgiven of their sins. It's impossible. Because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's right. <laughs> Before the foundation of the world. That, there's, no, there's no way around the blood. You, you don't get all of those things were types and pictures yes. that pictured it all the way up until the New Testament, all the way up until Christ came. They were all pictures. You go through the whole Old Testament, they're pictures of Christ. They worshiped Christ. By the way, Hebrews says that they worshiped Christ in types and emblems. That's how they worshiped him. Did they know it? No, they didn't understand everything God was doing. Hey, I got news for you. Neither do you. You don't understand everything God's doing either. I don't either. I know what he said in his word about salvation. I know what he says that it's by grace through faith. And he showed us that by dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. And the apostle Paul preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's what we follow is the gospel. But I'm saying to you is all of those things were pictures and types and shadows. 
until that which is perfect would come, which is Christ, the perfect one that would die for their sins. And he would be buried. He'd rise again. That's the, he, it, it took Jesus to die and to defeat death. All of those other covenants, all of those other dispensations, all of those other things were the unfolding drama of redemption. They were pictures, types. And by the way, Hebrews tells you they were imperfect pictures. That's right. That's what it tells you. Because it says the better one, Christ was better than Moses. Christ is better than the law. Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than all. Amen. Because he had to come and die. By the way, that's, that's why they call it the Proto-Evangelium, right? That it, was, that it was a prophecy of Christ coming all the way back in Genesis. That's right. That's why they, that's why they you know, I don't use that terminology, but that's what many people use uh, for that terminology. It's just, it, it's the prophecy of Christ right. coming. Amen. And we can look back and understand that better than what they did, obviously, because we have both Testaments, right? They didn't have that. But... Anyway, regardless, that, those are the pictures. Being far off signified the state of the Gentiles as contradistinguished from the Jews who were nigh. And these expressions were used in reference to the tabernacle, God's dwelling place among the Israelites. And the sacrifices there offered, all those who had access to this tabernacle or were nigh to it or encamped about it were said to be nigh to God. Those who had no access to it were said to be far off. Isaiah 57, 19 through 21 says this, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is afar off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Amen. Ye who sometimes were far off, who in their state of unregeneracy. That's what Paul is saying. They weren't converted. Were far off from God and from his law and from any spiritual knowledge of him and fellowship with him. And from Jesus Christ and from the knowledge of, the, of his righteousness and the way of salvation by him from the spirit. And any acquaintance with the things of the spirit and from minding them and from walking after him and from the saints and people of God and from any love to them and any communion with them, and from any solid hopes of happiness or real peace and comfort, which distance was owing both to Adam's sin and to our own transgressions. Not just Adam's, it's yours, right? It's mine. We know, we were, we know that we were conceived in sin, the Bible says, right? So we understand that, but you know what? You know what? We choose our sin, too. We can't choose anything else. You say, I don't think that's fair. Well, trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent, believe the gospel. Yeah, you'll think it's real fair then. Right. <laughs> More than fair. Because you'll understand the justice and the righteousness of Almighty God. Amen. That God is just and holy and righteous. Amen. Like I told that man in that video, he said, look, I'm hungry. Is it wrong for me to steal? Well, yeah, it's wrong for you to steal. It's a sin. But you ain't going to hell because you're going to go steal some food. You're going to hell because you're a sinner. And you love your sin. Right? He didn't, he, he couldn't, he, man, he said, man, you hard. You harsh. No, God's, God, what's that? That's right. Man, I wish I wouldn't have talked to you, he said. <laughs> he said. I wish I wouldn't have talked to you. 
You know why he said that? Because he had no cover for his sin. Right. But he was convicted. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Right? Right? He, sorrowful. right? he did. He went away sorrowful. I hope that man got saved. That was 10 years ago, Brother Paul. I hope that man got saved. You remember that man? Man, I hope he got saved. I, we haven't seen him in eight, nine years or whatever it was since he was there. I never saw him again, but man, I sure hope he got saved. Hope I see him in heaven. Amen? He got the truth. He said he would read. He said he listened. You know, he listened. <sighs> Paul is here dealing with the Gentiles. He is illustrating to them again the differences in their lives before they were saved. He's saying, you were, you were far off before, but now you're made nigh by the blood. It's the blood, right? Unconverted sinners remove themselves at a distance from God. And God puts them at a distance. He be... He beholds the proud afar off. You know, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. When men humble themselves before the mighty hand of God, God will teach them. If any man on this earth approaches this book and asks God with a humble spirit to show him, God will do it. God will do it because he said he would. Right? God, will, God is faithful. That's why we can preach hope to people. We can tell them, people say, I don't have any faith. Well, go to God then. Ask Him for it. That's why you don't have any excuse. Well, go to God and ask Him for it then. I, I don't have any repentance. Well, go to God and ask Him for it then. Amen. God's not going to turn you away. He'll teach you. You might turn away because you don't want to repent. <laughs> but it ain't God that's going to push you away when He shows you. He'll show you. God will reveal Himself to people. Through His Word, He will. Man, will He? Mm. He beholds the proud afar off, the Bible says. In this case, far from God or far off was a phrase in common use to designate the Gentiles. Turn to Acts 2.39. I like that. Look at this phrase. This explains it. This is Peter. Then Peter said unto them, Repent to be baptized in verse 38, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, comma, and to your children, comma, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the Bible says that those that are afar off can be saved. They can, they can be saved. They can be born again. The promise is you. It wasn't just to the Jews. That's the difference. That's what was happening. God was beginning. Peter didn't even know what he was saying right here yet. <laughs> he didn't understand it. He didn't understand he was going to have a trip to Cornelius' house. <laughs> right? He didn't know it. He didn't know what God was doing yet. By the way, that's how it works yeah. when you serve the Lord. 
Boy, you have this thing in mind of how you're going to serve the Lord and how everything is going to work and how God's going to do ministry-wise. You got you might have vision and understanding and thoughts of things and you plan things out and you look at things and man, God shows you, yeah, you're going to do that, but you're going to do a whole lot more than that. You don't even know yet. There's going to be more than you than you understand. That's what God does. When he saves men, that's what he does to them. You know, there was a moral distance from God. They were far off. An alienation of the Gentile heart from God, which was more serious than any geographical remoteness from the seat of theocratic institutions from Jerusalem. It is both the sinfulness and the misery of sin that men are at a distance from God. Your sin has separated you from your God. If you ever have a coldness with God as a child of God even, you must understand that your fellowship may be uh, hindered because of sin. The first thing people want to uh, save people think is they must not be saved if they, if they feel a coldness or they seem spiritually cold or sep separate from God or far off from God. No, it's probably sin. Why don't you ask God to reveal it to you and show you why you're cold? Why don't you ask him to show you? He'll show you. I'm going to tell you what, he will show you. <laughs> you, don't you be scared you're too scared to ask God that's what it is you, some people don't want answers from God so they don't ask they just like living in misery <laughs> they don't want to you start asking God you ask God man I you, you, you thinking man I'm, I feel cold and like away from God and not warm like I should towards the Lord and everything else like that why don't you ask God why why don't you ask God to reveal it open up that book no, he ain't going to come down in some vision and some, that would scare you half to death anyway. You couldn't handle it anyway, especially in a backslidden condition. You wouldn't handle it anyway. Probably faint or die. Amen. Right? But you know what God will do? You ask God to show you and open up that book and ask God to teach you. You know why hearts get cold towards God? They don't open up that Bible and ask God to teach them. Ask God to show you something from his word. Ask God, and I didn't say show you something in a vision, show you something in your cornflakes or anything else. I said open up that book and ask God to reveal it to you. This is how God speaks to you. Not anywhere else. If you're looking for, for premonitions and you're looking for feelings and you're looking for all these other things, you're whoring after things that God never told you to go after. He said, this is your all. This is all you need. You want to know when God started, God started delivering me from depression and things like that? When he set my face as a flint towards this book and he said, here's your answer. Here's where it is. Now find it and you'll find me what you, exactly what you need. And he said, you turn away from everything else and you turn to me. And guess what? He showed me. Man, uh, month after month, boy, I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy, but month after month and year after year, he showed me, he said, no, this is where you're going to be, right here. You don't want answers from God. You're too lazy to get them, so you won't go after them. I'm not speaking to any one person. I'm speaking generally because it's common for Christians to be lazy, spiritually lazy. I don't say in everything, but spiritually lazy, Right? If you want answers from God, he'll give them to you. How do I know that? I know that, number one, because God promised in his word he would. If you seek me, you shall find me if you search with me with all your heart. You go ahead and tell me that ain't true. Go ahead. Tell me God's a liar and that ain't true. Or tell me the truth. You're just being lazy and you don't do it. Because, see, I know the truth. 
you won't convince somebody that God's brought through those things too. No, number one, you won't convince me to get away from God's word by the grace of God. Number one. Number two, you won't convince me because I've been through it and I've watched God deliver me through it. And I've seen God answer me. I, I've had him show me. I've had him teach me. I've had him, I, I've had him take care of me and guide me through dark valleys and dark nights. So you, you won't convince me that God doesn't do that. What you will convince me of is that you're lazy. You will convince me of that. You will convince me that you make a lot of great excuses to yourself, but they don't work with God and they don't work with me either. Because I already know the truth. I've already staked my never dying soul on this book. So I, I, I don't, I'm all in. I've already drank everything God wants to give me and, and, and then some and, and asked him for more. So I, I, you, you can't convince me otherwise. I'm not drinking off the vine of Sodom. I got the, I got the true and living word. I, I already I, I know it's right here. Your answers are right here. You think you got some special situation that God didn't cover in his word? Oh, excuse me. I didn't know you had some special situation. By the way, this is not in my notes. <laughs> Just so you know, it's, it's, not, it's not in my notes. But one thing I do know about, I, I understand people, and I understand how easy it is to make excuses. Right. Come on, preacher. And to sit around and feel sorry for yourself and act like, well, this is an impossible situation. No, it isn't. There's nothing impossible with God. Right. What's impossible is for you to get through the situation without repenting and without following the Lord and being faithful and obeying the word of God. Yeah, you're right. It'll be impossible like that. But it's not impossible because God didn't show you. It's impossible because you don't want to do it. Amen. That's just plain where the rubber meets the road Christianity. That's Bible devotion to God. That Don't tell me God don't meet you in the dark. I've been in the dark. I know what it's like. God will meet you right where you're at and take care of you. He might whoop you a few times because you need it, but he'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. I don't believe those excuses. God didn't let me live in those excuses. Just basically one of two things. Either you follow me and you believe me or your whole brains are going to blow up. <laughs> so, hey, hey, you know what it came down to? It came down to this. Either you're going to believe this as the absolute truth in every area of your life and in every situation that my word is well able to care for you or you're going to go crazy. Well, I think I'll take option one. <laughs> right? I'm, you, you may think I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating you. I'm not like not even a little bit. I'm not even a little bit exaggerating about that. I, I am being completely honest with you. That that's exactly what it is. You know why? Because God wanted me to be used of him to help others. That's why. And he wanted, and, and he wanted to use me and he wanted to try me and test me and, and challenge me that I would trust him. Why? Because you don't get to just get up and preach God's word and not believe it. You don't get to get up and preach God's word and not live it. You don't get to get up and preach God's word and not follow it and not use it as the remedy for what ails a man? You don't, you're going to live it. Because you know something? God uses that and he uses the conviction that's behind that once he delivers a man from that. Boy, I'll tell you what, you could have armies of thousands of people come after that man. And he'll look you square in your eye, pick up that Bible and say, this is what it says. When everybody else and all his friends and everything looks at you crazy, be like, nope, right there. That's what it says. Right? 
And then guess who don't touch you? Those funny doctors that want to give you pills and kill you. Those people, they don't touch you because you're like, nah. People run around following psychiatrists and psychologists and all these people. Professional. Professional what? Killing people? Amen. I mean it when I say it. What are they professional at? Killing people. They're real good at it. They give them funny pills and they kill them. But you, somebody told me today, you know, you, you have such a simplistic look at life. Life's just not like that. You're just, you just, you, you, you have such a simplistic look when it comes to these things. I was like, well, that's, it, it is like that because God's word is like that. Either you're in Christ or you're not. And you can take your philosophy and dump it into the pit of hell. Because I think it's Gnostic garbage. That's what I think it is. And I could care less what Jordan Peterson or any other idiot says about God's word. If they are not a believer in Christ and don't believe on him. But they want to use it for some historical record. No, they're using it to sway people away from the scriptures. It's called seducing men. That's what it's called. And they're very good at it, by the way. Bible theologians have been doing it for years, haven't they? How many men have tried to talk you out of the King James Bible as your only authority? And then look at you like you're nuts when you're like, nope, that's it. Well, you're just not as smart as us. Okay, I'll stay dumb. Thanks. Amen. Thanks for the compliment. Yep. I thank God that he didn't let me get smart like, like a lot of those Amen. people. Like I, I didn't get educated like all those people. Amen. I didn't get what they had. I don't want it. I don't want it. You know why I don't want it? Because I see where it leads. It leads away from a simplicity in Christ and a simple trust in the book. So how could I counsel people with, with all these things if I don't believe that this book has all your answers? How could I do that? Well, I'd go get an honest job delivering pizzas. Or donuts. I like donuts. Right? If I didn't believe that this book had the answer. This is what happens. I get off on tangents and I don't... Okay, anyway. <laughs> Number two. But now in Christ Jesus, he said, the words but now indicate a most traumatic change in condition. The poor, miserable, naked beggar upon the dunghill, the Gentile is taken up to sit among princes and inherit the throne of glory. That's the difference, right? Think about that. That's salvation. And it is of the Lord. And only God Almighty can do that. But what are these blessings? Well, number one, the blessings must be understood to be now. Now. But now. Our blessings, our lives are full of blessings here. And they're full of blessings Amen. now. They are full now. They are present possessions, not future possibilities. I'm not going to receive, I'm not going to have eternal life when I die. I have eternal life now. I go into death with eternal life. Do you get that? I don't face down the grave with the, with the fear of not having eternal life in that sense. I face down the grave knowing that I go to sleep and I wake up in heaven. Do you understand the difference? Not that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have eternal life in the future. No, I have it now. 
That's how a man can face death. That's how a woman can face death. That's how you can die that way. Why? Well, I'm going home to be with the Lord. I, I already have it. Christ is with me now. He surely will be with me when I go through death's gate. Right? He has not forsaken me here. Why would he forsake me there? Do you realize that life prepares you for death? Life with God prepares you for death. It's a very sobering thing to think about your own mortality, but a very necessary thing. To think that, you know, when you're in your 20s, you, you don't think death could ever come to you. The older you get, you start realizing that's more of a possibility, <laughs> right? You start, the older you get, you start thinking, you know, man, wow. Like, you think about, people talk about midlife crisis, then you start doing the numbers and you're like, 40 some that whoa maybe I already had that (laughs) you start doing the numbers and thinking you know we really are but dust yeah like we we don't have that long so we got to make it count that's how we should live our lives for the glory of God we ain't got that long we better make it count These blessings, their present possessions, not future possibilities. All these, all the scripture, the way that is written indicates that the blessings are, accompli- are an accomplished fact. We are made nigh. He is our peace. Hath broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. So making peace, having slain the enmity, have access are no more strangers and foreigners. Our fellow citizens are built. Now, stop looking for what you're going to have in heaven and start seeing what God has already given you now. That you are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's, that's faith. But I can't see that. I know you believe it because God said it. <laughs> Your promises are here and now, not, not, not for later. They start here and now. You know, someone someone said to me that that you know you you don't have to like um, say there's there's like a boogeyman everywhere and there's all this stuff out here. And I was like, well, the the only thing that you and I it makes me think, but but the only thing I know for sure, and I didn't say this to them, but the only thing I know for sure is that everything that's in this book is true. Everything that a man says, including myself, is suspect. Right? I know there have been things that I have felt that have been wrong. Have you? Have you ever felt something so strong that you believe it is so absolutely true? And then you find out you couldn't be the furthest. Or you were the furthest from the truth possible in, that, in what you thought. Like Spurgeon said, your greatest fears will probably never come true. The things that we, you and I fear the most probably will never come true. The blessings are in Christ Jesus. 
As we've seen throughout Ephesians 1 through 1 and even all the way to, to chapter 3, all of God's blessings are in Christ. And apart from being in Christ, there is no saving relationship with God. The blessings are by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13, look what it says there. It says that it is by the blood of Christ, right? By His blood. We're going to talk about that in a minute, too. i got to take my pot shot at MacArthur while I have a chance here. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the death of Christ. Oh, wait. Didn't say that, did it? It says by the blood of Christ. How anyone can study the Bible and be that, that of course, he doesn't really study the Bible because this is the Bible and what he studies is not the Bible, so I could see where he could come up with that probably. Right? Well, he didn't like the version, so he wrote it. They, they, they put together their own Bible. Was that called the, what's that called? The Legacy Bible? I think I have Legacy. I have that. I'm going to, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is have Andrew do a video for me when I review the Legacy Bible. And I'm going to have that Heidi, uh, what's her name again? Heidi Baker. And she's going to be on there going, Legacy, Legacy, Legacy. And I'm going to flash that Legacy Bible on there. See, Andrew, it's. It's terrible that you don't know how to do video stuff now because I can exploit that to no end. <laughs> I can have a lot of fun with these heretics. Um, anyway, but uh, the, uh, they don't believe the Bible anyway, but the Bible says very plainly, this is the Word of God, and it says very plainly, by the blood of Christ. This was the propitiation, the price that Christ paid to settle the sin debt, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. The remission of sins that are past. All sin had to be atoned for finally in Christ. Had to be. Had to be. Paul says it in Romans, all the sins of the past. That doesn't change the fact that God used different systems because clearly temple worship is not New Testament worship. All right, let's just be real. It's not. It's not the same thing. And there are people that confuse all that and, and, and they kind of, they get that all messed up and they teach it wrong. And when I first started learning those things years ago, I probably was guilty of that in some ways. But, but the thing is, is that once you understand that those were all types, pictures, and symbols, and the final was going to come and Christ's blood was going to pay for everything, then you get it. But it wasn't revealed, so how would they know? They didn't know. It was revealed to Paul. The mystery was revealed to Paul. They didn't know that. Paul informed them. All those things you were doing back then, all pictures of Jesus all pictures of Christ, so you don't have to do them anymore. They're all done away. Why? Because Christ came. And he had to. He had to. Amen. The blessings are accomplished by Christ for us. He has made both one, it says in verse 14. He is, I believe that's verse 14. Let me check here. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile 
both unto God. That's a beautiful word, reconcile. Do you understand that? That is a beautiful word, reconcile. And that he might reconcile both. You know, you always, you, you think about, you hear that word in, in marriages that have gone awry and, you, you know, that they're not doing, and you want to see them reconciled, right? We have uh, people that if they, you know, if they get disciplined out of the church or whatever, we hope one day they can be reconciled. But the most important relationship to ever be reconciled is fallen man, reconciled to God through the atonement of Jesus Christ. That is the most important reconciliation ever. Amen. It is, it, it is the, the most important. And came and preached, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. He made himself, in, he, he has made in himself of twain one new man, right? He is the active Savior. We are the recipients and benefactors. The blessings are bestowed through the preaching of the gospel. Look at verse 17. And came and preached peace to you, which were far off and to them that were nigh. It's through the preaching of God's word. The blessings are bestowed through the preaching of the gospel. It is God's plan that the gospel be preached to all men. And those who believe are saved and those who do not believe are damned. Mark chapter 16. Ephesians 2, 17 is a reference to Isaiah 57, 19, which we just read. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that are far off. Him that are far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. The far off are the Gentiles and the near are the Jews. And both are in need of salvation. Right? Those that were far off and those that were near. What does that mean? How do I apply that today? Those that are out there and those that are in this room that have never been born again right. must be saved. Don't die and go to hell from a Baptist chair. Right. Right. In a Baptist church, Judas did that. He heard all the truth. He heard the best preaching ever. I preached a sermon like that many, many years ago. Judas went to hell from a Baptist pew, and so can you. Man, that's a fiery young guy. I'm a fiery old guy. <laughs> but he went to hell because he rejected the only begotten Son of God. He repented unto himself. Don't repent unto yourself. You can't hold your sorrow. You'll kill yourself. Amen. That sounds like a horrible thing to say, but it isn't. It's absolutely truth. It's a dire warning from God. Don't hold on to, don't hold on to your sorrow. Give it over to God. Why would you hold on to your sorrow? Give it to God. And don't give me any excuses either. Give it to God. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Right? What's a lying vanity? That I can, I can do something about the sorrow that is in my own heart. That'll kill you. Right? Right? People drink themselves to death, blow their heads off, uh, OD, all kinds of that. Why? Trying to, trying to do something about the sorrow of their sin? Don't do that. Just dump it off to Jesus. Give it to him. He paid for it already anyway. What are you holding on to it for? It ain't going to make you a better person. What, do you think torturing yourself is going to make your life better? You can't, you can't, 
you can't get the, the um, you can never pay for your own sin. And you can never be sorry enough to pay for your sin. People try to make those, those comparisons and those mistakes when they think about that. No, it's Jesus that paid it all. Give it to him. Well, that seems very simple. Yeah, God didn't want you to walk around being tortured your whole life for the sins you committed. That's why he made a way. That's why Jesus died for you. Not to hold on to your sin and, and hold on to your sorrow and let it consume you. You give it to God. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, ask him then. You know, it's as simple as that. I don't know why you make it more complicated than that. It isn't any more complicated than that. It's, it's very simple. We really, we really like to complicate everything and make everything really hard. What am I going to do about it? I don't know. Why don't you ask God? Get in the book. Ask God to show you. Instead of like playing games and heme hawing around with it and doing all, why don't you just go to God and ask him, God, show me. Show me from your word. Not show me in my feelings. Not show me in my feel goods or my feel bads or anything like that. Show me in your word. Thy word is truth. Well, that's too simple. I know. And was it Naaman's servant? Was that who it was? Or was it Naaman himself? I forgot. They didn't want to be dumped in that old, dunked in that old muddy Jordan River. Naaman, he didn't want to be dunked in that. Man. And his servant, his servant said, my Lord, if, they, if they'd asked you to go do this or go do that, you'd have gladly done it. But all they're asking you to do is go dunk in that old muddy Jordan River and you don't want to do it. Why? Because he was proud. And you don't ask God because you're proud too. Because humble people are looking for answers. Proud people are questioning them. Right? Humble people want God to answer them. Proud people want to ask God, want, want to just live in, live in uh, the life of questions and questioning everything God says. Why? Well, they're too proud to trust him. They're being proud. They don't want to trust him. Well, it can't be that simple. No, it can be. It is. It is that simple, right? The far off are the Gentiles and the near are the Jews, but all need salvation, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The smug and the surly elder brother was just, a just as lost as the prodigal son, wasn't he? One was afar off and the other was nigh. They were both in trouble, weren't they? They both weren't right with God. The one in his father's house, he wasn't right either. He had rebellion in his heart too. He just stayed there and held on to his rebellion. And then the father had to rebuke both of them, didn't he? The difference between them were outward expressions of their pride and self-will and rebellion. They both had the same inner need of forgiveness and grace. The gospel reduces all people to the same level. All people are brought into the great equation of its salvation through the same common denominator, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The flood in Noah's day destroyed the people who stood on the highest mountains and those who cowered in the deepest valleys. All in the ark equally experienced God's mercy and salvation. And the gospel teaches us that all people who do not trust in Christ are equally lost, the distant Gentile or the nearby Jew. 
That's why Paul deals with that in Romans 1. He deals with those that didn't have the law. In Romans 2, he deals with, with those that did have the Jews that did have the law. And in Romans 3, he says they're all sinners. Right? Same thing he's saying here. Same exact message. Now, when, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The resurrected Christ is personally calling sinners to eternal blessings by the gospel. Whenever and wherever the gospel is preached, Christ is there, calling, wooing, enlightening, drawing. As he said, if I, and if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Jesus said, or John said, that Christ lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The preaching of the gospel is the most urgent work on earth today. It is the most exalted work today. What could be higher than being labors together with the Son of God and inviting lost souls to eternal salvation? Could there be a greater work? There is no greater work than soul work. Right? No greater work. And lastly, we are made nigh by the blood. We do not know a gospel without the blood of Christ. It was not merely Christ's death. And this destroys MacArthur's blunder of the blood not being important. God makes it very clear that it is the blood that makes an atonement for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Revelation 12:11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. This is the atonement that was made on Calvary. This is the blood of Christ that cleanseth us from all sin. It was pictured in Exodus 12.13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Amen. God is Egypt, a picture of the world. God is going to smite the world one day. His children that are covered by the blood will be protected with the Lord at home with Jesus. Amen. The Bible foretotaled the blood. The blood of the Old Testament was a picture of the blood of Christ that would come and that Christ would die for our sins and that his blood would make peace with God. Made nigh by the blood so as to have nearness of access to and communion with God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the saints in virtue of the blood of Christ, which gives boldness and speaks peace by which their, which their persons are justified. The pardon of their sin is procured. Reconciliation is made, and their garments are washed and made white. And so they draw nigh with confidence by the faith of Him. 
We draw nigh by confidence in prayer, not because of the way we feel, but because of the stated fact of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're not coming boldly to the throne of God because of how you feel, shame on you. You live beneath your privilege. Jesus shed his blood for your sins and for your soul so you could enter into the holiest of all and to pray to God and boldly go to that throne. Amen. That's every saint, every child of God should boldly come to God's throne because of Jesus, not because of you, not because of me, not because I've done everything right, not because I've done everything perfect, not because I have good feelings or bad feelings or any kind of feelings at all, but because the, of the blood of Jesus Christ. We come boldly. That, that's, the perp that's the reason. It's because of God. It's because of what Jesus did. It's not because of you. It's not because of any perfection in you. How can we be so proud as to think that? How can we be so arrogant as to think that, that, that we cannot approach a holy God uh, because of the frailty of man and because of our infirmities and because of those things. How can we be so proud as to think that and forget that our confidence in God is the blood of Jesus Christ? It's the atonement that was made. You realize the atonement is not a temporary thing, right? Like you realize you're not in the atonement and off the atonement, in Christ and out of Christ, right? You realize that once the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You are made free by the blood purchased by the blood. So I don't just boldly come to God when things are going great or when I feel good or I haven't sinned or I haven't done anything. No, so much the more ought you to go to God if you've sinned against God and to get things right and boldly come there. Not because you're proud. Your boldness is not pride. Right. You understand the difference? People get mad at bold preachers. They see us out there preaching and they say, oh, that's pride. You're just being proud. Or if you pray and you boldly come before God, some men might, might, might think that you're being proud. No, there's, I have nothing to be proud of, but I'm commanded to come boldly. I'm commanded to pray boldly. Maybe you don't get anything from God because you don't boldly ask him for it. You have not because you ask not. That's what he said, isn't it? You don't boldly, you want God to change people's hearts? Pray. Boldly pray. I've watched it. I've pastored this church for 17 years and I've watched God change people's hearts. Amen. I've watched him work in people's lives. I've prayed for things for years to see God do it. And years later, he answered it. I, you want a list? I'll give it to you. I, I can give you. I can give you. I can give you a number of things right now. But I don't want to embarrass anybody. So open. But, but I could give you a list. I could give you a list of things that I prayed about that God would would change people's hearts. That He would do this work. And I've watched Him do it. But we're not to cower. We're to come boldly. He beholds the proud afar off, but now in Christ Jesus upon your conversion. By virtue of union with Christ and interest in him by faith, you are made nigh. They were brought home to God, received, and taken into the covenant, possessed of all the privileges consequent upon these. The saints are people near to God. 
Salvation is far from the wicked, but God is a help at hand to his people. And this is by the blood of Christ, by the merit of his sufferings and death. Every believing sinner owes his nearness to God and his interest in his favor to the death and sacrifice of Christ. Do you understand that? So I don't pray boldly and go through it because I've been perfect. Because I haven't. <laughs> right? I haven't. We don't boldly pray to God because, oh, I'm, I, you know, I have all this confidence in myself. I don't have any confidence in myself. Right. Not a whole lot, anyway. I have confidence in what God says in his word. And my access to God is not upon how good I've been or how bad I've been. Do you understand that? It's upon the atonement. That was, that's what Paul is explaining here. The enmity has been slain. It's not there. What you see in your mind or if you fear in your mind, according to the gospel, it is not there. It's a creature of your mind. It's not of God. That's not how God sees it. How do I know? Well, he says it right here, right? We still believe this is God's word, right? This is inspired, infallible, and perfect. This is stated fact he's giving you. Paul's not giving you his feelings. He's telling you what the Bible, what, what God did and said he was going to do. That's what he's telling you as a matter of fact. And the atonement is not, well, you know, if I'm right today or if I'm wrong today. No, I'm already right in Jesus. My fellowship might be affected, yes. But I am never barred from the throne of God. You understand that, right? You are never barred from the throne of God if you're in Christ. Why? Because the merit of you being in the throne of God, in the throne room of God, is the blood of Christ. It is not you and your good behavior. It's Christ. Does that make sense? Man, I hope it does. I'm trying to make it as clear as I can. I want it to be clear. Why? Because you'll pray if it's clear. Amen? God has become your God and Father. Your orbit is changed to a near and blessed position where the light of God's countenance falls upon you in the blood of Christ. This is the particular instrument of the change. Not merely Christ manifesting the Father's readiness to receive you, but shedding his blood to make atonement for you. Hebrews 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Where's the holiness come from? God. It didn't come from you. It didn't come from me. We ain't got none. Right? You get it, right? You English teachers will correct that word ain't right there. I know. You, we, we never had any. Hey, we never had any. Right? Never. We didn't have any holiness. God gave it to us. You believe that, don't you? Like, I believe I live for God every day because of what God did in me. I, I, I mean that. You, you believe that, don't you? Sometimes when you're a preacher, you just want to scream to people and ask them, do you believe this or not? Just, just answer me and tell me, you believe this or not? But, but 
you, you understand that, like, I, I know that I live for God every day of my life by the grace of God. I don't do it by my own merit or my, I tried that before when I was lost. It did not work. It was really bad. It turned out real bad. But once I got saved by the grace of God, I was able to live for God because he gave me his holiness, because he gave me his nature and he made me partaker of his holiness. That's it. And that's what he's saying. And I know I got to stop. I could keep going for days, but I got to quit. Y'all got to get home sometime. I'm actually done. I have two more lines here. I'll read you here. Just as Israel at Sinai was by the sprinkling of the blood made to be the people of God brought near to him, kept year by year in covenant, so the blood of Christ was the element or sphere in which the new covenant took its shape with its all-inclusive relations, both to Jew and Gentile. It was the blood that obliterated the interval between the Gentiles and God. They have now communion with God and are established in their nearness to him. It is not merely in Christ Jesus, but in the blood of Christ Jesus that our nearness is established. It was not in the incarnation, but the death of the Son of God, the designed complement and issue of the incarnation that has secured our privilege of access to God. It often happens in the history of grace that these very far from God in character and hope are made nigh by the blood of the cross. And there is a marvelous power in the blood of the lifted up Redeemer. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me, irrespective of national distinctions. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Christ is well able to save your soul and to forgive your sins. Amen. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth. Lord, thank you for the power of God, the realization that Christ is all. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking in our minds sometimes, Lord, that things are dependent upon us. And Lord, we, we learn as longer we're saved to trust you more that it's you that has carried us all the way. Father, I, I just pray you'd help us to remember that. We learn it, and it helps strengthen our walk with you, our lives for you. Save the lost, Lord, to strengthen your children, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.